This episode is not sponsored by Walmart. Save your money, go somewhere else, not Walmart. Don't you do it, Karen. Welcome. Welcome to the All-American Program. It feels good to be back. It feels good to be back. It's been a year, well over a year actually, since I have last uploaded any episodes. Um, It wasn't until yesterday that I decided to get back into this. I was looking on my laptop and my phone and I realized that I still had my program. I still had access to it. I realized that I can continue making blogs and I can continue making podcast episodes for the select few that I have listening listening in. Um, but, you know, regardless of how many followers I have, how many listeners I have, it doesn't matter. I, I enjoy making these episodes. Uh, I enjoyed making the first five that I made uh, over a year ago. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, just researching history is just a lot of fun in itself. And to be able to take that and learn for myself and also take it and give it to you guys that listen and are interested, it's it's a great deal. It's it's like a win-win for everybody. And that's that's why I like doing it. I'm not in it for the money. I don't I actually don't get paid to do this. Um, you know, maybe down the road if my you know, my program gets, you know, more followers and more publicity, which probably won't happen, but that's okay. Um, I, I won't get any money until maybe that happens. So, but I like it. It's fun. Uh, the site I use is free. Uh, I can just record, you know, whenever I want. I can pretty much say what I want. Um, there's no restrictions on, on what... I can and can't say unless, you know, it's, uh, you know, pretty explicit to the point where it goes against the rules and regulations, stuff like that, just normal standard stuff. So, um, but I don't really have a time limit on how long I can, I have to do my episodes, how short or how long I can go, I can go, you know, as short as I want and however long I want, but I'm not going to preach. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to give you all a five hour episode on, uh, something that probably won't even matter. Um, this one is, uh, this episode, I mean, is going to be a pretty interesting one. Um, I put some research into this. It took a couple hours and a, you know, a handful of writing to, you know, gather all this stuff up. It's, I mean, it's a lot of fun just to doing this stuff. Um, so without further ado, uh, talking about the topic, uh, I'm going to be talking about the three most underrated presidents that we've had in our nation's history. So break it down real quick. There's two, uh, in my opinion, that are bad. And what I mean by underrated and bad is underratedly bad, if that makes any sense. it's So what I mean by that is they're very underrated because they don't get talked about a lot which they shouldn't, um, you know, you go on Fox News or CNN and you see something that, you know, maybe a politician does or something like that, and, and, it, and it, it reflects back on what maybe that president did, 
back in, you know, a hundred years ago or however long it was. And it's like, well, he, you know, he did the same thing as, you know, such and such president. And it never really gets talked about. Um, unless you talk to a historian that, you know, knows all about this stuff. But, <laughs> uh, but just for the record, I'm not a historian. I'm just a high school graduate. Uh, history was my favorite subject. I didn't go to college and study history. I didn't, you know, you know, history is not my job. I'm not a museum expert on, you know, at the Smithsonian. So uh, I'm just a guy that loves history and loves, you know, taking it in and giving it back. So just wanted to throw that out there for anybody that was kind of wondering about that. So, uh, but anyway, um, so the three presidents I'm going to talk about are Woodrow Wilson, Herbert Hoover, and Gerald Ford. Maybe all of those presidents you never even heard of. Maybe one, two, <laughs> maybe one or two. Um, if I had a guess, I would say that Woodrow Wilson was the probably, probably the one that you didn't hear of in history class. So, um, and that's why you're listening. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, that's it for the introduction. Uh, I will be back, and we'll, we'll get right on down to the nitty-gritty. Again, thank you for listening to the All-American program. I got a good one for y'all today. As I said, we're going to be talking about three presidents. We're going to start with Woodrow Wilson. We're going to start with bad to the better. Um, I got three presidents to talk about. Um, so let's just dig right into this. So um, Woodrow Wilson is not a household name. Not a lot of people talk about Woodrow Wilson. Uh, in my opinion, he was probably one of the worst presidents in our nation's history. I'm just going to leave it plain and simple. Um, there's not a whole lot of things in his, his time as president that he's done good. Um, for instance, he was against the Constitution as I mean, as we all know, the Constitution is what binds our country together, uh, the checks and balances and everything. It keeps our country going. It's got a, it, it's the foundation of our country um, put together by our forefathers, you know, back in 1776. And he was against it. Uh, you know, he believed that it was it wasn't, you know, meant to be rules it was supposed to be disregarded um you know there were some indications that he just kind of wanted to repeal it uh or revise it which obviously is not a good thing for our country i don't think it would have been allowed by the congress and uh he didn't he didn't think that the executive branch uh should uphold the uh, equal power that of the legislative branch. Uh, for those of you that don't know, the legislative branch is our Congress, our Senate, and our House of Representatives. The executive branch is the president, vice president, so on and so forth. 
Um, so, like I said, let's dig right into this um, in advance. I apologize for any background noise if there is any. Um, so, uh, let's get right into it. So, the Sedition Act of 1918, uh, you can be, back then, you can be imprisoned for between 5 to 20 years if you were expressing your opinion or exercising your free speech, which would be the First Amendment, that interferes with war bonds or sheds negative light on the war effort after repeatedly gloating about keeping America out of war. So at this time, World War I is going on. And during his first term, he kept us out of World War I. Uh, he wanted, he kind of wanted us to get in it. But uh, Congress and basically the people of the United States said, no, we would rather be a neutral country. We've always been a neutral country. Uh, we didn't really involve ourselves with any wars between uh, whatever was going on in Europe or anywhere else. And but when he was going for reelection, uh, he how he got pretty much reelected was that he kept, you know, boasting about how. He kept us out of war, and that was his main forefront to him getting reelected. And then once he got reelected, wasn't well, long after that he got us into World War One. We immobilized uh, our troops over to Europe, and uh, then then came the Sedition Act, and. Uh, so basically, if you exercise your free speech, saying anything about uh, the government or the military, and in their eyes, you were keeping them from, you know, buying war bonds or whatever it was that they felt was threatened, you can be imprisoned uh, between five and 20 years, which was really excessive. So... Um, before that, before the Sedition Act, there was the Espionage Act of 1917, uh, which passed uh, just after uh, America entered World War I. Uh, Woodrow Wilson stated in a quote of a State of the Union in 1915 that there are citizens of the United States, I have blushed to admit, born under other flags, but welcomed under our generous naturalization laws to the full freedom and opportunity of America who have poured the poison of disloyalty into the very arteries of our national life, who have sought to bring the authority and good name of our government into contempt to destroy our industries wherever they thought it effective for their vindictive purposes to strike at them and to debase our politics to the uses of foreign intrigue. I urge you to enact such laws at the earliest possible moment and feel that in doing so, I am urging urging you to do nothing less than to save the honor and self-respect of the nation, such as creatures of passion, disloyalty, and anarchy must be crushed out. They are not many, but they are infinitely malignant, and the hand of our power should close over them at once. They have formed plots to destroy property. They have entered into conspiracies against the neutral neutrality of the government. They have sought to pry into every confidential transaction of the government 
in order to serve interests interest alien to our own, poor choice of words, it is possible to deal with these very things effectively. I need not suggest the terms in which they may be dealt with effectively. So I'm going to get into this later on, but uh, the problem is, is that this Espionage Act was going against German Americans. And so the Espionage Act made it a crime to convey information with intent to interfere with the operation or success of the armed forces of the United States or to promote the success of its enemies. This was punishable by death or by imprisonment for not more than 30 years or both. Uh, it also was a crime to convey false reports or false statements with intent to interfere with the operation or success of the military or naval forces of the United States or to promote the success of its enemies when the United States is at war to cause or attempt to cause insubordination, disloyalty, mutiny, refusal of duty in the military or naval forces of the United States or to willing, willfully obstruct the recruiting or enlistment service of the United States. This was punishable by a maximum fine of $10,000 or by imprisonment for not more than 20 years or both. Yeah. So to break that down into simple terms, again, if you said anything or did anything in their eyes that you had the intent to disrupt the military or the government, that you can be punished put to death, uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure if they had the electric chair at that time, uh, but whatever uh, the cause of death it, it was at that time, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Uh, you, you were going to die if they, you know, that's what they, you know, seemed fit to do uh, if they thought it was that bad or, you know, imprisonment up to 30 years or a $10,000 fine, which, you would have been paying on that for the rest of your life at that time, which, again, is just totally excessive. Um, I mean, this this man is just, at, I mean, at this time, he was going completely insane in, in my eyes. Um, so, if you think that's bad, just wait till you listen to this. Um, he also had internment camps for German-American citizens. So most of us know that we had Japanese American internment camps when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, uh, basically kept a bunch of Japanese citizens that like almost all of them had nothing to do with the attack on Pearl Harbor. Um, they were kept in Arkansas and uh, some other places that where they held camps. Um, and they question every single one of them. Well, uh, this is the, basically the same thing here. And, uh, not a lot of people know that we've had internment camps back in world war one and, uh, the government decided they were going to lock up thousands of German Americans in either one or two camps in Georgia or Utah. So there was only two internment camps and there was thousands locked up. And God knows how how big those internment camps were. Um, 
<laughs> they locked up 30 members of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, and most of them were German-Americans. And, of course, and uh, they just locked them up, including the um, director of it, who was also German-American. And there was an attorney that described a concert at the internment camp, and it was, it was like 2,000 attorneys packed in the mess hall. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that was like. I can't, I can't imagine if that would be, you know, amazing or, you know, horrific at the same, maybe both at the same time. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you're in this camp and, you know, you're being treated poorly because you're, you know, a German-American and, you know, you somehow violated the, you know, Espionage Act and you're thinking, you know, throwing, if you think about it, there was, there was some spies, you know, from the, from Germany. Um, of course, you know, we have the Zimmerman note. Uh, I've touched, I've touched on that on the previous episode, uh, the Lusitania and all that, um, which those two were the main reasons why uh, we got into the World War One, but um, which was a direct threat to our democracy and our safety of our country, which in some ways I do agree with it. But, you know, if I'm Woodrow Wilson, I'm not boasting, you know, over and over and over about how we, you know, kept us out of the war and then use that to my leverage and then turn around and go into war because really that kind of just caused a lot of problems after the fact. So, um, you know, again, we'll get in, we'll get into that in uh, just a little bit. So, um, yeah, again, I can't, I can't imagine how those internment camps were. I don't want to even begin to, you know, think about, uh, how bad they were treated, I, and it's so bad that you don't you don't ever hear about it. You don't hear about you know the internees that were there in the camp because it was just forgotten, and you don't hear about it in history class. Um, I don't know if colleges even teach that stuff, um, but I know in high school I didn't learn about it, and. And I've, you know, I've learned about the Zimmerman, no Lusitania and all that in World War One, and, you know, just a little bit of Woodrow Wilson, you know, high school's gotten, you know, really slacky with their education. But I mean, that's just the way it is here in Oklahoma, at least. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, going back to what I said at the beginning, when uh, Woodrow Wilson was against the Constitution of the United States. Um, here's a quote uh, yeah, when he complained in 1913 as president. He says that the Constitution was founded on the law of gravitation. The government was to exist and move by virtue of the efficacy uh, of checks and balances. The trouble with the theory is that government is not a machine, but a living thing. No living thing can have its organs offset against each other as checks and live. So basically saying that if we have the Constitution and it's only there for checks and balances and laws, um, then the country can't live. 
that's basically what I take from that, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people do take from that. Uh, I can't, I know I can't be the only one. So, <laughs> and that's very dangerous. Um, how he got elected again, I'm not sure. Um, but again, it was back in the early times where not everything was, you know, publicized on, uh, you know, the newspaper. And of course there wasn't social media back then. So um, that definitely, I mean, definitely between now and back then it does play a major factor because, you know, we got people from California and Washington DC is so all the way on the you know, East coast. And, you know, not everything that the president says is going to get, you know, published all the way out to California. So, um, that's basically how I see from that quote. Um, you know, we, we can't, if this constitution is just there to, you know, keep us in check and keep Congress and the president and everything else in check, then we just can't live. It's just not going to happen. Um, again, that's how I see that. So, um, yeah, definitely a bad, <laughs> bad deal. So, and furthermore, I mean, he wanted, again, uh, like I said earlier, uh, he wanted the executive branch to be superior to the legislative branch instead of ha instead of having equal power over the United States. So right now, the executive branch and legislative branch basically have the same power. If the Congress passed a bill, but the president vetoes the bill, the Congress has the same power to override the veto. So, you know, it's not going to go all the way up to the president and do all this work just for it to get vetoed and then it's over and forgot with. If the Congress sees fit as it being a benefit to the United States, which of course the Congress is made up of a bunch of people that are all different types of races. And, uh, and if that's the way they see fit that, you know, it would benefit the country. Like if tomorrow, uh, our president now, Joe Biden, decided to veto a bill that would greatly help out the veterans, um, the Congress can take it back and override the veto and become law or the bill would be passed to, you know, help out the veterans and the VA and all that stuff. So that's basically... But he didn't want that. So basically what I'm t telling you right now is that whatever the president says goes, that's what Woodrow Wilson wanted as uh, the president. So uh, if that were to happen, I don't know how long that would have, I don't know how long that would have uh, stayed, um, stayed a thing. But, um, yeah, like I said, it's just, that's, I don't agree with that. I mean, that's, that, that's just terrible, terrible for the country. If that were to happen, um, as a kid growing up, I thought that's the way, you know, this country ran, whatever the president says goes, he's the most powerful man in the United States. But, you know, like with everybody, as we get older, we learn more and more and we realize, you know, the 
president doesn't control everybody. We have these checks and balances for a reason. And uh, the Congress and the president both have equal power. So, but like I said, Woodrow Wilson didn't want that. And <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough that he wanted, you know, to basically deprive the American people of their free speech. I mean, you know, I can today, if I wanted to go up and say that Joe Biden is the worst president in history, um, the military is the worst thing that this world has ever seen. Uh, don't buy war bonds. Don't do this. Don't support them. You know, I could say, I mean, if I want to do that today, I couldn't because that's, I'm exercising my free right to do that without getting uh, in trouble by the government uh, That because I'm expressing my opinion. But when the, es when the Espionage Act was put in place and the Sedition Act um, basically revoked that. So if I were to go, if, so if I were to go back in time to 1917, 1918 and setting and had set all of that, I would probably either find at the very best $10,000, spend the rest of my life trying to pay that off, uh, or in prison between five to 20 years or worst case scenario, uh, I get put on death row. So, I mean, that right there just tells you how bad of a man Woodrow Wilson is. And um, not only that, when you know our soldiers came home from World War One, uh, he didn't really do any do anything for him. And he was also, might I add that I did not bother to add in my notes here, but he was, he was, uh, he was a very racist person. Uh, did not have hardly, I don't know if, I don't think he had any African Americans, uh, in his cabinet or in any federal position. Um, he's made comments about, um, you know, black people and, what they are, I, I'm, and also I think I touched on that in a episode um, from way back, so I won't get into all that. But uh, if you want to find out more about you know Woodrow Wilson and racism, uh, you can find it on the episode. I believe it was the Reconstruction episode, so you can find that there. <clears throat> anyway. Um, and again, uh, put German American citizens in internment camps and locked them up for, you know, I think I think that director of the uh, Boston Symphony Orchestra got locked up for I think over a year, and you know, yeah, I mean, I mean it's the Boston Symphony Orchestra. I mean, what are they going to do? You know, they're going to go toot their horn over to Germany or something? You know, get. <laughs> You know, give them like a Morse code from their trumpet or something. I mean, come on, man. Uh, you know, it's just it's like that. 
It's like that <clears throat> good cop, bad cop thing, you know. <laughs> uh, but I won't get into that. Uh, of course, it's pretty. It's a pretty touchy subject right now in the states. Uh, so anyway, um, let me see here. Yeah, and uh, not only not only all that. I mean, he talked to Congress about you know, like I said, you know, basically depriving these American citizens of their free speech. You know, said it in the State of the Union in 1915, as I said, I gave you the quote, and you know, I mean, imagine doing that today. You know, imagine. The sitting president, Joe Biden, doing that today. I mean, I think the world would, we're not the world, but, you know, the country would lose its mind. Um, I think there's some presidents that this is kind of, they kind of have the notion of that. Um, and some believe that, you know, Joe Biden is doing it right now. And some believe that. Uh, when Donald Trump was the president, that he did it as well. I mean, it it goes back and forth all the time. Um, but I mean, imagine—I can't imagine a president just standing there in front of Congress, giving the State of the Union and and saying what he just said, uh, what I just read to you. Um, <laughs> like I said, I think the country would lose its mind. So. Um, I believe that's all I have for this segment. Um, yeah, that's all I have for uh, Woodrow Wilson. Again, like I said, and he's probably the one of the worst presidents we've ever had. Probably the worst we've had. Um, that's just uh, it's a good portion of what he's done. Uh, major things that he's done as um, president that were uh, not not very good, and so. Um, there's some more on there. Like I said, he was a racist. He was an outspoken racist. And uh, I think he, yeah, he funded the KKK when they started up. He was a major factor in that. Again, I, I'm pretty sure I touched on that on a, on a, one of my episodes. So, um, so if you guys want to figure out more about Woodrow Wilson, like I said, go figure or go listen to the uh, Reconstruction episode that I uploaded about a year ago, um, and that episode talks a lot about racism in America, um, and that and even that uh, time period, a lot of people don't talk about, and it was a very dark time in our nation's history. It was worse, in my opinion, it was much worse than. Uh, the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned and we'll be back for more. The next president I'm going to be talking about is Herbert Hoover. So, again, just stay tuned, guys, and I will be back with more.
And welcome back to the All-American program. Thank you for listening in. Thank you for getting this far into the episode. In the last segment, we talked about Woodrow Wilson, um, just a bad president, uh, bad person. Um, Not a whole lot of stuff that he did that was uh, very good for the country. He wasn't healthy at all. Um, was just kind of in it for himself, uh, try to get more power, um, which today would have been a beast of power, but it, I guess it wasn't at the time. So, <laughs> uh, so this segment, we're going to be talking about Herbert Hoover. Uh, and I want you guys to be the judge as we go along with this segment as the further we get into it. Um, Woodrow Wilson is probably, um, the worst president we've had in, in you know our nation's history. Herbert Hoover is definitely up there. Um, I want you guys to be the judge of which one's worse. Uh, I think Woodrow Wilson is worse, um, more worse than Herbert Hoover. But you know, there's some things that go. You know, I don't know which or Herbert Hoover can be worse than Woodrow Wilson. I mean, well, you guys be the judge. Um, so anyway, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this guy's whole life. I didn't talk about Woodrow Wilson's entire life. I don't do that. I don't talk about when he was a baby. I don't talk about, uh, you know, what he did uh, as a teenager. You know, we. You know, we pick some flowers or something like that. No one cares. Um, So (laughs) I like to get right down to the nitty gritty uh, from, you know, from where it starts being nitty gritty all the way up until the end of the presidency, because pretty much after their presidency, it's kind of irrelevant unless it's, uh, you know, some bad scandalism stuff like Richard Nixon. So, um Actually, we're going to be talking about Richard Nixon today, so uh, that should be fun. Um, <laughs> anyway, back on track here. Uh, so starting with uh, Herbert Hoover. Uh, so in 1914, Herbert Hoover distributed relief to 40,000 Americans stranded in Europe during the war. So 1914, we're, we, America is not in World War One just yet. We were in World War One, as you all know, but 1914, we were not in it yet. Uh, Woodrow Wilson wanted us to be in the war, but uh, again, whenever it came to relation, he used it as leverage to not, we weren't in a war and blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, Herbert Hoover was, at this time, he was not in Congress. He was not in any form of government. He was actually a London-based independent mining consultant, and he was a mining engineer and geologist. And he went to college at Stanford. So he was a very wealthy person. He was a very well-educated person. Uh, the stuff that he was in, he obviously knew what he was doing because he had a successful business. Um, by this time, he has a family, uh, wife and kids. They moved from California all the way up to London. And um, so, again, uh, there was about 40,000 Americans that he um distributed relief to uh there was about a hundred thousand americans in europe that needed help that were in uh german occupied territory uh 
and uh, and as I said, Herbert Hoover um, helped forty thousand Americans, which I thought was a relatively small amount compared to a hundred thousand. Um, but you know, it, it it's just about you know how many you can save, and um, you know just a small period of time. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that the other sixty thousand Americans were, you know, not held hostage or something like that. So um, nothing to worry about there. Um, but he also distributed food to Belgian citizens who were in German-occupied territory. So Germany has invaded Belgium. Um, the government wasn't there. There was really nothing. The economy wasn't running. It was just basically. Uh, ran by the Germans and the Germans deciding this is not our responsibility. We, we're not going to feed, you know, these uh, Belgian citizens. We're not going to do anything. Uh, that's not our responsibility. They're not uh, our people. And so Herbert Hoover basically says, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. And uh, he was very, he was very knowledgeable with food for a guy that was, <laughs> in the mining business and all that, he was very knowledgeable about uh, food because uh, when America entered World War I in 1917, Woodrow Wilson appointed Herbert Hoover the head of the United States Food Administration. So when we mobilized our troops to France, uh, Herbert Hoover was in charge of distributing the food to the uh, American troops and uh, their and our allies. So, like I said, for a guy that was you know in the mining business and all that, I guess he had some pretty good knowledge about uh, <laughs> about food. And you know, in the pictures of him, if you go see Herbert Hoover in his pictures, he's not really a big real. He's not a real big guy. Uh, so you know. You can't just look at him and say, oh, you know, that makes sense. You know, he's just, a, just an average guy. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, and at that time, he was still in he was still in Congress, and he ran for president in 1920. But he didn't get past the uh, California primary. Uh, he, he was the predecessor to uh, Hiram Johnson. But Warren G. Harding was the... Uh, Republican nominee over uh, Johnson and became president. And Herbert Hoover served under Harding as Secretary of Commerce until Harding's death and then served under Calvin Coolidge. Harding died in 1923 and then Calvin Coolidge became president. And then when the, uh, when the election time came around, uh, Herbert Hoover was wanting to run for president again, but he didn't really want to, uh, he wasn't all in because he didn't really want to go against uh, Calvin Coolidge. They liked each other. They were good friends. Uh, he liked sort of serving under him, so he didn't want to alienate him. But uh, Calvin Coolidge said, this ain't for me. Uh, and he didn't run for a second term. So when Herbert Hoover heard that, Herbert Hoover says, I'm now all in. So he goes all in as president. And, uh, but by this time he beats Al Smith by landslide. And, 
Uh, at this time, people know who Herbert Hoover is. His reputation was, uh, you know, pretty decent. People heard about him and he campaigned. And so he was probably the best uh, person uh, to run for the nominee uh, for the Republican Party and beat Al Smith. Um, but this is the confusing part about this. And, and this there's another part on down the road uh, that <laughs> it will get even more confusing. Uh, but this is confusing, but it's not surprising. So when Herbert Hoover was running for president, uh, him and the Republicans developed a lily white strategy, which was to remove African-American Republicans from leadership positions to draw in more white Southern voters. Uh, so again, that's not surprising because Herbert Hoover is white. Uh, he wasn't uh, looking at it. He wasn't a very uh, racist person. Uh, again, I'll go. Again, there's another part down the road that's going to be even more confusing. Uh, it'll make you think back about this and say, this doesn't add up. Trust me, I was thinking the same thing. So, uh, but like I said, Herbert Hoover was all in. He wanted to get in as many votes as possible. And he says, well, I'm going to get a pat on the back from the, uh, from the white Southerners down in Alabama, Mississippi, and decide and going to remove all these, uh, uh, black people from uh, federal positions and remove them so that I can get more votes. That's basically the tactic he used, which uh, obviously worked because he became president. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely, definitely confusing, but not surprising. Uh, so he became president and the stock market crashed in 1929 and Hoover, Herbert Hoover did not seek federal intervention to help Americans. He feared it would permanently weaken the country if Americans were allowed on welfare. He wanted state governments and private charities to address the needs of the people living in poverty. So basically what he's saying here is this is not my problem. This is y'all's problem because they live in your state. This is your problem. And you got, and so that's basically what he's saying to the state governments, to the charities. He's saying, well, you guys are charities. Y'all should go help them. We shouldn't be providing uh, the federal government, that is. So that's basically what he's saying to the American people and to the state governments and the uh, private charities all around America. Because, uh, you know, the Great Depression, the entire United States was under was just severely impacted by this. So he did not want to give Americans any welfare that would help them. And, uh, you know, as far as food goes and giving them money, because unemployment, was, I mean, every year it kept dropping. I think it was at uh, 5% the first year in 1929. Then I went up to 11% in 1930. Uh, 18% in 1931 and 
1932, it went all the way up to 23%. And um, yeah, and this, and this guy just says, you know what, this isn't going to, um, I'm not going to do anything about it. So, <laughs> um, then he signed the uh, Smoot-Hawley Tariff Act into law and erased the rates of many goods, which resulted in a contraction of trading and the economy worsened thereafter. France and Canada, among other countries, retaliated by raising the tariffs. So, basically, here in this uh, Tariff Act, he raised the... Uh, the rates of goods, and so the, and Europe is also going through this. They're going through this crisis, so they can't really get the goods that they need, and Canada and, you know, other countries can't either, so uh, it made them mad, and so they decided they was going to raise their tariffs so that America couldn't get, you know, the stuff that we needed, and so it has caused a whole big problem and again, it's it wasn't a good thing. Uh, definitely, definitely not. Um, so, yeah, uh, pretty much like Woodrow Wilson, kind of just in it for himself. Um, and if he got in his way, he's just like, screw you. You know, I'll make this, <laughs> I'll make this worse if you you don't get in my way. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so here is the, uh, other confusing part that I was talking about, um, earlier that had to go back to, uh, African-American citizens that were in leadership positions. So during his presidency, um, he appointed more African-American citizens than Harding, and Coolidge combined. So, uh, so for a guy that ran when he ran for president, he removed all these African Americans from federal positions to gain more Southern voters. But yet, when he became president, he appointed more African American citizens to federal positions than Harding and Coolidge combined. That's the confusing part that I just, uh, I can't say I don't get it. Uh, that's just, I can get it to an extent to get more votes, but you're basically a two-faced sucker. Uh, that's basically what I got, pretty much what I got from that. Uh, he claimed that uh, African-Americans and other races have the potential to grow and improve on education. So that's why he gave them to the opportunity to be put in those positions to make these calls for the country. Um, again, that doesn't make any sense from what he did when he was running for president to when he was president. So um, no one really <laughs> one knows if this man was... Uh, against black astronauts. He says he wasn't, but again, for him to do that when he was running for president, uh, to strip those African-Americans of their federal positions just to gain votes was terrible. So, um, so during the great depression, I've also touched on this subject. I actually have a whole, um, uh, 
podcast episode about this, uh, the prohibition. Um, so uh, Herbert Hoover supported the prohibition, and he urged Americans to obey the 18th Amendment and Volstead Act, which was the um, prohibition of alcohol. No one can have alcohol. If you're caught with it, go to prison. Um, and he rejected any advice from the closest allies and did not want to revise anything about the Volstead Act. So he was so set on it and he supported it so much that even the, not even his, I'm pretty sure not even his wife could change his mind if she wanted to. Uh, he might just slap her in the face because that's what men did back then. I mean, men still do it now, but uh, women back then were not uh, treated as equal. And so, I mean, you'll get what I'm saying. So, um, but public opinion quickly turned against prohibition and the illegal smuggling of alcohol and makings of alcohol were at a very high rate. So he's like, well, since, you know, no one wants to listen to me and uh, I can't get people to do what, you know, I tell them to do and whatnot. And this has just become a uh, pretty much like an outbreak. He's like, I'm just going to repeal the 18th Amendment and finally passed the ratification in 1933. He became uh, the 21st Amendment. So the 21st Amendment ratifies the 18th Amendment. Um, so thus ending the Prohibition era. So people can go back and, and get drunk whenever they want to. So <laughs> uh, I can imagine how uh, what those Americans were feeling back then. I, I, I could just feel it. <laughs> uh, I would probably be dancing in the streets, uh, hammered drunk myself. So that's that's why I say that. <laughs> uh, but... I'm sure the only people that can afford alcohol were the wealthy because during this time, uh, there was this thing called Hoovervilles. A Hooverville was the nickname of shanty towns or where the homeless lived. So if you go down a highway or down a busy street uh, somewhere in the city, uh, where I live is Oklahoma City, I see uh, um, these campouts where these homeless people live in. Um, on a pretty much a daily basis, and it's a sad thing to see. Um, but if you get to a bigger city, like I visited Indianapolis once, and um, you know, I just seen homeless people sleep on the bridge, and I'm sure it's worse the bigger the city, um, like San Francisco or New York City. It's just it's just all around bad. Um, that's pretty much what that was um, back then. But it was Herbert Hoover that got him there. Uh, unemployment was very high. Um, inflation was high. And we couldn't get our, our goods wasn't coming in. Uh, we just, the, the whole country, the economy was just, I mean, it was just in a bad state. Um, the Great Depression just took a major, major toll uh, on our country at that time. And... A lot of Americans couldn't afford to live. Uh, they lost their jobs, so they were forced to live in these Hoovervilles and uh, forced to make their own 
uh, type of clothing, like Hoover leather was a nickname of cardboard that covered holes in a shoe, or a Hoover blanket was the nickname of a newspaper that was used as blankets for the homeless. So these people were using newspaper and cardboard to basically fix their clothes or to be warm uh, or both. Um, so, like, if I wanted a piece of, you know, if there's a hole in my shoe, like a sole of my feet, um, I use a piece of cardboard and just slap some tape over that sucker and, you know, that's my Hoover leather. I used Hoover leather to get that fixed. Uh, or I had to use some newspaper to keep warm in a cold night. Um, that's basically what a Hooverville was. And I cannot imagine what that experience must have been like. Uh, it's... I can't, I can't even comprehend that. Um, uh, moving on, uh, this one here is pretty, pretty bad. I do not, in my opinion, this is the worst one um, because this one goes against our military and I'm very sensitive to our military. I love all of our um, servicemen and women and our first responders, so... Anything that goes against them is just like a personal attack to me because my family is uh, both sides of my family. My mom and my dad's side is both uh, a military family. And so um, this was called the Bonus Army uh, when it was veterans of World War One that were promised bonus bonuses for the service of their country in 1924 by the World War Adjusted Compensation Act. So they were supposed to be compensated for the bonuses after they came home from World War I. And in June of 1932, the veterans and their families camped out in Washington, D.C. to protest. Police tried to disperse the protesters, but were outnumbered and unsuccessful. And the police fired shots, and two, prote two protesters were killed while many officers injured. So the police didn't want them there. Uh, they were making a big old... Uh, Pretty much a big old scene, a big, a big hoorah, if you will, um, in Washington D.C. And Herbert Hoover didn't like him there at all, so he tried to get the police out there to send them away, but they weren't going away. There were just too many people and too many, uh, or too many veterans and their families, I should say, that uh, packed uh, the lawn of Washington D.C. And it eventually led to Herbert Hoover sending in the U.S. Army which was led by Douglas MacArthur to the protests. And MacArthur thought he was dealing with communist revolution and cleared out the camps by military force. Hoover endorsed the actions of MacArthur after it was over and thus sealed his fate for being reelected ever again. So police wasn't doing the job. Uh, not, not that they could, they were outnumbered. Uh, officers were getting injured. People were getting killed. Uh, so Herbert Hoover is like, well, I'm just going to put an end to this and send the United States Army out there to get these people out of here. And that's what he did. And uh, and he sends one of the he sends one of the most psychotic generals in history uh, to lead him out. Uh, it didn't surprise me when I read this. Um, and don't get me wrong, Douglas MacArthur is a very successful general. Um, he, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that he did wrong, but I mean, 
but some something between that man and communism just it's there's a fine line between those two <laughs> I, I mean if you don't know much about Douglas MacArthur uh, all you need to know is about the Korean War because that man wanted to invade China <laughs> because he thought that we can push right through North Korea and invade China but Harry Truman was like, no, nah, we're not doing that. So, uh, but anyway, back on track here. And I kind of got off track there. Um, Douglas MacArthur come in and I don't know how in the world he thought that he was dealing with a communist revolution. That's your own troops uh, or former troops. You're basically, you know, they serve their country. You're serving your country still. Uh, same thing. And you don't, and you think you're dealing with a communist revolution. That I mean, like I said, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, like I said, that man of communism is just, you know, out of control at the time. And uh, and after it was over, uh, Herbert Hoover did not actually order uh, military force um, on these people. Uh, it was all. Uh, Douglas MacArthur that did that, but it's not like he didn't endorse it. Like I said, he endorsed the actions of MacArthur after it was over, and this pretty much uh, ended his um, chances of getting reelected. Because at this time, you can—I'm not sure how many terms uh, you can serve—but um, he was going up for reelection again, but. We all know when that came around, FDR beat him out by a landslide. So, um, yeah, and when that happened, it was pretty, I mean, I, I'm sure that even after, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, before this happened, uh, it was over anyway. The people weren't going to reelect Herbert Hoover again uh, before he did this to the veteran, but I, I, I like I said, it's pretty much sealed his fate. So, um, yeah, uh, like I said, you guys, you guys be the judge on that one. Uh, which one's worse? Uh, <laughs> which one's worse than the other? Um, I think that Woodrow Wilson's worse. Uh, but like I said, there's something, there's some things about Herbert Hoover that's like, eh, there it's you're worse than Woodrow Wilson. So I mean, it can go, it can go either way. Uh, for me at least, um, but you guys, like I said, you'd be the judge on which one's worse, and uh, again, I'm glad, I'm uh, I'm really glad that I'm sharing this, sharing this with you guys, um, this is really good stuff, uh, if it's not, I mean, if it's not good for y'all, it's good for me, because I can look at, you know, the future, and you know, look at our future presidents and say this guy, it, it, be able to judge and say this guy is good or no good because of this. You know, this reflects too much on what Herbert Hoover did or Woodrow Wilson or um, you know, on the good side, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, you know, uh, some guy that holds up the Constitution and not be like a Woodrow Wilson and try to repeal the whole thing because you want more power. So... <laughs> Anyway, guys, uh, that's going to be it for uh, Herbert Hoover. My next president I'm going to be talking about is Gerald Ford. That was going to be a very interesting story. I saved the best for last. Um, there are some things that he did that was bad, and, some, and there were some things he did that was good, but it's a very 
uh, weird story and a very, uh, but a very interesting one. So, guys, so just stay tuned, guys. Uh, and we'll be back with more, and we will talk about Gerald Ford in the next segment. Again, thank you for listening. I appreciate the support. I appreciate all my listeners. Last segment, we talked about Herbert Hoover. The one before that, we talked about Woodrow Wilson. This segment, we're going to be talking about Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford is a little bit, actually a lot different than Herbert Hoover and Woodrow Wilson. He kind of falls onto the good side of the underrated side. Uh, not, not one of my favorite presidents, uh, mainly because he didn't serve for very long. Um, but I do like him because he worked with what he had and the little time that he had. And this man just kind of got thrown in to the lion's den. Um, if, there, yeah, if there was one president that did, it would be Gerald Ford. Um, this man is very interesting. Uh, the history is hist- is interesting here. Um, and it really is very unusual. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever see this ever again. Um, maybe in a hundred years, maybe, but uh, not anytime soon for sure. Um, so let's go right into it. Uh, so Gerald Ford to start is, uh, he was the vice president under president Richard Nixon. He was the only president to, or, uh, I'm sorry. Um, I got my notes wrong here. Excuse me. Uh, so Gerald Ford was the vice president under president Richard Nixon. Gerald Ford was the only president to be sworn in without being voted as chief executive by the electoral college. Ford was nominated to take over as vice president when Spiro Agnew resigned, being the first vice president to have been implemented from the 25th Amendment. Ford took over as president in 1974 when Richard Nixon resigned from the presidency due to the Watergate scandal. So what that means is, in simple terms, uh, without reading my notes because I clearly got them messed up, um... Gerald Ford, like I said, when he was thrown into the lion's den, he was really thrown into the lion's den. So, um, Gerald Ford was in Congress for a long time. Um, When Richard Nixon was inaugurated, Spiro Agnew was his vice president, but Spiro Agnew resigned, and Gerald Ford was nominated. And so he was the first vice president to not um, be elected by the electoral college during uh, the election, but still uh, still was able to be vice president. And then um, when the Watergate scandal happened, actually whenever Gerald Ford uh, was becoming the vice president, um, 
the water the Watergate scandal was actually unfolding, so it didn't take him long uh, for him to for him to be president. And when um, Richard Nixon resigned, then Gerald Ford took over as president. So he didn't really have a very he didn't have a very uh, long span of being vice president to president. He was literally vice president, and then was like president for like a couple of months later. So uh, anyway, so going back, going way back, because uh, this happened like 1974, going all the way back to World War II, uh, 1941, President Ford was an enabled seaman during World War II in the Pacific Theater and retired a lieutenant commander with 13 medals and was honorably discharged from active duty in 1946. Ford was aboard the USS Monterey, and was a part of Admiral William Halsey's Third Fleet. The USS Monterey participated in the strikes against Wake Island and carrier strikes in New Guinea in the Battle of the Philippine Sea. So, uh, President Ford, again, was in the Navy. He enlisted in the Navy after uh, Pearl Harbor happened, and he didn't go into the active duty until 1943, and then... Uh, like a year and a half later, uh, the war ended, and then in 1946, after all of his um, campaigns and stuff were over, uh, he was honorably discharged from active duty, and then he went into Congress in 1949 uh, until 1973, until uh, vice president, and he was also House Minority Leader uh, from 1960. Uh, five to 1973. So, um, but then when uh, he, it was his turn to be president when Richard Nixon uh, resigned, uh, Ford went on television uh, the day of his, uh, when he was, uh, took the oath of office, because I don't think he really had an inauguration, he just took the oath of office whenever he resigned. Uh, Ford went on television that was broadcasted across the nation saying, My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Our constitution works. Our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here the people rule, but there is a higher power by whatever name we honor, we honor him. Uh, speaking of God, uh, that's who he's referring to, who ordains not only righteousness, but love, not only justice, but mercy. Let us restore the golden rule to our political process and let brotherly love purge our hearts of suspicion and hate. So right there, you could tell this man is an, a man of integrity. Um, most of what politicians say, people don't believe. They think, well, you know, they're just putting on a show. But I, in my opinion, I firmly believe that this man was uh, a man of integrity. He was a good man. Um you know, from the time he was raised, you know, all the way up until uh, his passing, I think that he was a man of his morals and his beliefs, and he really had the goodness of the country at heart. Um, so when Ford uh, took the oath of office and became president, he appointed Nelson Rockefeller as his vice president, and George H.W. Bush was his predecessor, familiar name, because George H.W. Bush became president about three elections later, uh, or four, five, whatever, uh, three, I'll just say three presidents later, 
George H.W. Bush was the president, and not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry for all you Bush fans out there. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Ford gave a full presidential pardon to Richard Nixon, a very controversial decision that made a lot of Americans uh, believe that Ford and Nixon made a bargain for Nixon's pardon in exchange for his resignation. Many believed it killed Ford's credibility as a president and character. Um, so that, that is a controversial one. Um, Ford or Gerald Ford, which again, he was the vice president under Richard Nixon. Uh, when he became, when he became president, he, uh, gave Richard Nixon a full presidential pardon of his crimes. Uh, if he ever committed one as president during the Watergate scandal. Um, and a lot of people didn't like that because a lot of people, uh, there was so much evidence against uh, Richard Nixon that it was just unbelievable. And people hated Richard Nixon. They didn't like the look of him. And when uh, President Ford did that, it really put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths when that happened. Uh, and a lot of people in uh, President Ford's cabinet ended up res resigning after this happened. And some that were really close to um, President Ford, they were close friends, and they ended up uh, re resigning in protest of what he did. And so to go uh, to go on to that, um, to continue on with that, um, it was said later on that after Ford, uh, when his time as president was up, that he always regretted, uh, or not regretted, but he just kind of felt guilty of what he did. Uh, he, Joe Ford did go for re-election, and uh, that people believe that was the main reason why he didn't get re-elected was because of the pardon he gave to Nixon. And he also, uh, Ford himself actually admitted that. He said he probably had a very major factor on why he didn't get re-elected, and uh, he didn't blame the American people for thinking that way. And, uh, but, but as years went on, uh, when it came down to the 21st century, uh, history has it that, uh, president Ford made the right decision to pardon Nixon. And, uh, it's still, it's still a controversial, uh, thing that we talk about sometimes today. Uh, a lot of historians look back on it and just, um, uh, the, it, like I said, it's just a controversial um, argument that people make. Uh, anyway, um, continuing on here, um, Ford issued the Presidential Proclamation 4313, which provided amnesty to American military deserters and draft dodgers from the Vietnam War that fled to Canada and other countries. Meaning that if you were a deserter or a draft dodger from the Vietnam War, uh, you were granted your amnesty, uh, provided the terms if you return to the country, um, and which I honestly, I honestly like that a lot. Um, the Vietnam War was a war that we should have never entered in the first place. Um, that's why I'll, I'll always have Lyndon B. Johnson as the number one worst president on my list. Um, but that's another uh, topic for a, a different day. Um, and. <clears throat> 
Uh, so continuing on again, uh, Nixon left Ford, bad situations that were hurting the country, such as inflation, depressed economy, energy, energy shortages, if I can say it right, energy shortages, excuse me, and world peace. Uh, as I said before, um, Richard Nixon really left Gerald Ford a mess that he had to clean up and he didn't end in such little time. Uh, it was just a, a really bad cluster that he had to fix um, for those reasons. And Ford was uh, faced with the increase of inflation. He urged Americans to whip inflation now, which was abbreviated as when. So uh, you might hear sometime down the road that a video of uh, Gerald Ford saying when, which means whip inflation now. Uh, he had Congress control the public spending, gave corporations and wealthy individuals a 5% tax or a 5% income tax increase and took $4.4 billion out of the budget, which brought the federal spending under $30 billion, which is a really good thing. Uh, I also agree with that. Uh, like I said, an income tax, a 5% income tax uh, increase on the wealthy and corporations, which I totally agree with. Uh and uh, Ford gave a speech on April 23rd, 1975, stating that the Vietnam War for the United States was over after North Vietnam invaded the South Vietnam again and the president of South Vietnam had resigned. So basically, Joe Ford went up in a Tulane University and said the Vietnam War is over, at least uh, on America's part. So we had no more business being that, which I also... Again, I agree with, I, I, I absolutely love that uh, Gerald Ford was able to end that. Um, uh, Gerald Ford was also target, uh, was the target of two assassination attempts by two women, probably the only uh, president in history to be targeted by two women. Uh, that's not a sexist comment, by the way. Uh, I'm just saying that it's, he's probably the only president that's been tried to, it's been tried to been killed by two women. Uh, their names were Lynette uh, Fromm and Sarah Jane Moore. Both were sentenced to life in prison, but were, par were paroled after 30 plus years of serving their life sentence. So in 2007, Lynette Fromm was released on parole and Sarah Jane Moore was uh, released on parole in 2009. I mean, if you really think about it, it's it's really weird. I mean, if I was Gerald Ford and I found out that two women wanted to assassinate me, I would think, why would they want to assassinate me? You know, I mean, you look at the past assassinations, you look at Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth, um, the assassination of, you know, JFK, um, you know, and among other assassinations and, you know, our nation's history and, you know, most of them were men and you just don't think, uh, you know, why would it be a woman? You know, what did I do against women that would have a woman trying to, uh, you know, try to kill me? I don't know. I mean, you can be the judge on that one. Uh, just me, it sparked some questions in my mind. Uh, 
you know, again, it's not a sexist comment or anything. I'm not trying to be sexist or anything or anything along those lines. But, uh, I mean, it just kind of raises some questions in my head as to why, you know, uh, so. Uh, President Ford won the uh, Republican Party nomination against Ronald Reagan. Yes, Ronald Reagan did run for president, um, but President Ford won the Republican nom nomination. But, uh, but he became the predecessor to Jimmy Carter, who won the 1976 presidential election. So Ronald Reagan ran for president in 1976, but he didn't get past... Um, uh, President Ford, uh, he didn't get enough uh, uh, delegates to pass and get the nomination. So, um, of course, therefore, President Ford got there and then it went down to the general election and where Jimmy Carter pretty much won uh, somewhat by a landslide. Um, so, uh, when President Carter gave his inaugural speech, he spoke of President Ford, including for myself and for our nation, I want to thank my predecessor for all he has done to heal our land. So uh, what President Carter is saying is basically what I'm saying. You know, he took what he had and he gave it his all. Uh, like I said, I think he I think President Ford had the good the goodness of the country at heart. Um, I don't think that he was trying to run it to the ground. I think that he understood that what Richard Nixon did was wrong. Um, and for, um, for a few short years, he took what, I mean, he got what he, uh, was given and, um, he tried to make the best of it. He tried to, um, you know, heal our nation from what we were, you know, facing when, uh, Richard Nixon decided to, do what he did with the Watergate scandal. And, you know, I mean, honestly, for me, props to, you know, Gerald Ford, President Ford. Um, I honestly respect the man. Uh, I admire him uh, because that man did not get voted in. He got voted into his Congress, but he didn't get voted in to uh, being a vice president or the president. Uh, he was just kind of nominated for the vice president spot when Agnew resigned and then it became the vice president. And then once the president uh, either gets impeached or resigns, that uh, the vice president of the United States uh, moves up to being president of the United States uh, and has to take the role of the most important man in the whole United States. And so... Like I said, props to uh, President Ford for what he did. Um, like I said, he's not the best, but um, he certainly did his best. And, you know, very, very underrated, in my opinion. I don't hear uh, hardly anything about President Ford. Um, I didn't really learn about him in... Um, in uh, high school or middle school or in history class in general. Um, no one really talks about them. You know, I follow politics all the time on, you know, my social media and I don't really hear of general or president, uh, Gerald Ford and, you know, very, very underrated president. And it's in a good way. 
Um, certainly not like Herbert Hoover and, you know, Woodrow Wilson. So, <laughs> um, so uh, that's going to be the end of this segment. And that's unfortunately going to be the end of the episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as I enjoyed taking all these notes. I wrote down a bunch of notes. Um, sorry if this segment kind of seemed a little rushed. Um, I'm trying not to get this episode past, uh, I think it's already past like an hour. I don't want to push an hour and a half. So, uh, I was trying to push it a little bit and just kind of read through my notes that I took down. And, um, and most of these notes, half of these notes or half of what I read were my notes. And the other half was what I also read that I did not write down. So half of it was what I'm seeing on my screen and half of it was my memory. So, uh, so for anyone that wants to call me out on if I'm just reading stuff from Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, I definitely take history in full seriousness. I, I love history and, um, uh, I read books. I look up articles all the time. Uh, I listen to other podcasts that really fill me in on current events and history uh, or both. Um, you know, I love it and I can't get enough of it. And I feel called upon myself to bring this to you guys that are listening here now um, to give these, you know, history lessons and fun facts and stuff here to you. I, I really enjoy it. Um, and if, again, if, you know, if nobody else likes it, then I'm just doing it for myself. I mean, I can sit here and talk to myself about this stuff and I'd still have a, I still have a fun time, but you know, um, not that I don't appreciate you guys. I, I do appreciate, uh, those that are listening. Like I said, a very slick few, but you know, I, that's fine with me. Uh, I don't care if I got five listeners or 10 million listeners. I don't, I don't care. Uh, I, you know, I appreciate it. So, uh, with that, I am going to end the episode here. Like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I've been wanting to do, I've actually been wanting to do this, um, episode for a while. Uh, been want to talk about some presidents of the United States. So I'm glad I got to, uh, read about uh, these presidents here and um, allow myself to gather this information and become knowledgeable of these presidents and hopefully more in the future and share it with you guys. So uh, again, guys, uh, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for more episodes on the All-American program, and I will see you next time. Mm -hmm.